if things work out in the next 20-something minutes, I'm going to start with something you already know, and I'm going to finish with something you already know. Is that, does that sound good? And there might be any number of things in between that you already know, but I'm going to start with something that's just a home run in the category of you already know this, and that is that little children ask questions. Ready? Yeah? You with me? You with me so far, right? Little children ask questions. Research science has shown that a preschool-aged child in their waking hours, and of course they like they should be asleep for like 10 plus hours, but a preschool-aged child in their waking hours ask their parents on average 100 questions a day. Do the math on that. Do the math on that. In fact, just, l- just, let's just relive that. Some of us, let's just relive that. Repeat after me. Why? 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 Does that bring back memories, anybody? It, uh, this morning, yes, yes. Why? Why? A hundred questions a day when they're awake. Wow. Now here's the devastating part. Is the same research, uh, the same research is showing that by the time the average, now this is not every child, this is not every child, thankfully it's not every child, the, by the time the average student in America gets to middle school. It's like seven years. I mean, like, that's not long. They're asking their parent no questions a day. That's the average, and I know, and there's some, there's some parents in the room going, oh, no, my parents, my child still asks questions, you know, and, and mine does too. Like, <coughs> when are we going to eat? When are we going to eat again? Um, That's a devastating number. And, and, and the thing is, uh, we know this about children on the front end of this, on this study, and that is that asking questions is actually a part of, uh, of, of the way that their brains are learning. And that, that sounds dumb, like you ask a question to learn a question, but, I mean, to, to learn an answer, but like literally their brains are connecting neurons by asking the question. Sometimes, sometimes there's a gap in their knowledge, and sometimes they, 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 they know that they have this piece, but they have this piece over here, and they're asking the question about how do they connect. I mean, the research actually shows that preschoolers, most of the time, are not asking questions for attention. And I know parents in the room are like, no, tomatoes, no, they're asking for attention. They just want my attention. No, they're actually asking they're actually asking, not for attention, but because they're trying to fill in the gaps. But here's the question for the church. Is if, if, if the window is narrowing in the time that children are asking questions, what have we got to do now? What, what have we got to do now? What's our responsibility before they stop? Before we get to the scriptures, I uh, invite you to join with me. Let's, uh, let's start with prayer. Oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight. O oh Lord, our rock 
and our Redeemer. Amen. And amen. What we, what we said last week, we're talking about uh, this, this, this concept that this is so fundamentally important, that sharing our faith, literally going and telling it. What we, what we said last week, we covered a lot about the what, about the content, right? That's what we did last week. So he, here's a rehash, um, and you wish last week I had been as quick as this right here, but uh, here's a rehash. And that is that sharing our faith is not just like, you know, one punch. It's not one passing out of the track. It's not even a digital download. Sharing our faith actually has three parts to it. There is first the event itself. There's the announcement of the event. And then finally, there is this call to change. There's this call to change. In some ways, the change is calling them, calling the person that we are evangelizing, that we're sharing our faith with, calling them to change the story that they've been believing to a better story, right? The story that says, the story that says all hope is lost, changing that to, no, 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 there is still hope. Changing the story to the one that says, God loves me. Changing the story to the one that says God has the power over evil, that God has the power over death, that Jesus triumphed. Changing the story to say that, listen, there is suffering in the world, but there's more to life than just the suffering. There's the event, there's the announcement, and there's the call to change. And we remember that, that the announcement doesn't always follow quickly after the event itself. I mean, think about that. That's what it means to be, to be a Christian. I mean, the pastor on a regular basis should stand in front of the congregation and say that Jesus Christ was crucified, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. The thing is, that happened a long time ago, but I'm, I'm obligated to still announce it. And what we believe about Christianity is that that announcement means that you need to change your life, that I need to change my life. There is the event, there is the story, the announcement of the story, the, the proclamation of the event, and then finally, the call to change. This, this is what it means. This is the what and the content. But, but then comes the question, who, right? Who are we supposed to give the content to? And, and, and relying heavily on uh, the work of uh, this Old Testament professor, he's still alive, Walter Brueggemann, he's now retired, brilliant, brilliant guy, wrote a book, he never had a single thought that he didn't actually publish and make money off of, brilliant guy, Walter Brueggemann, uh, he suggests that the answer to the question of who the audience is, is uh, there's actually three parts to it, and so we're going to do the first part today. And, and uh, you already know where I'm going with it. The first, the first answer to who we're to share our faith with is, like, under feet. It's, it's, it's children. And, and uh, for some of you, that's your children. For some of you, that's your children's children. For some of you, that's your neighbor's children. For some of that, you, that's the children, that's the, that's the children that you're paid to corral and shepherd for 55 minutes before the bell rings, that blessed bell that finally rings, right? I mean, some of you, that's, that's other people's children, but it is, it is absolutely, fundamentally, the commandment that, that one of the groups that we're to share our faith with is children. And the fascinating thing is, the Old Testament is just littered with the examples of, of that happening and how it's supposed to happen, and we can learn a lot from it. 
I could probably quickly, <laughs> let me back that up, I could probably easily teach like a two-hour Bible study on this. And that's not what this is for right now. But, but let me just show you what it would include. We got that screen, Randy, of the, uh, of the six passages. There they are. There they are. This is the Old Testament on children's questions, right? And so get your phone out and take a picture of this. Um, that happened even in the old little chapel this morning. I stood real still when I was holding the piece of paper because that's the technology that happens at the chapel. <coughs> so write this down. Take a picture of this. I'll, I'll, here we go. There we go. Yeah, that, there you go. You don't have me in the way. And here's the common denominator. Notice these are only one verse. You can go, I mean, you can go easily in just, in just a second. Don't do it now. Um, but uh, in just a second, you can go look these up. Here's the common thread of each of these six passages. In each of the six passages, the adults are doing something. And almost perfectly, almost perfectly, it's not exactly the same words, but it's close. In each instance, the Bible, the Bible says that in the midst of the adults doing something, right, uh, whether it be uh, having this meal, whether it be remembering and saying these words, whether it be um, living out and talking about the commandments, whether it be moving these stones from one place to another or making an altar. In each of these places in the Bible, the adults are doing something, and the Bible says, you need to be ready for when your children ask. We're going to read one of them in just a second, but, but I'm telling you ahead of time, the Bible offers as a commandment to adults. Let that sink in for a second. Thou shalt not kill. Thou shalt have no other idols. Thou shalt not take the Lord's name in vain. Thou shalt honor the Sabbath. What are these? These are commandments. A commandment of the Bible is that adults have an answer ready ahead of time for when your children ask. And that's, that's what this is. I, uh, I invite you, let's just look at one of them. Let's look at one of them. Uh, it's, uh, I, I love this story, and you're going to love it too because it's really short. It's uh, seven verses out of Joshua chapter 4. Seven verses out of Joshua chapter 4. It's uh, starting in verse 1. When the entire nation had finished. Oh, I'll back up. Back up. I can't start yet. All right, so this is the Exodus story. Let me back up. Um, the Exodus story is so big that it's bigger than just the book of Exodus, right? But you remember the Exodus story. The Exodus story is uh, God finding a deliverer. His name is Moses to deliver God's people out of slavery, sin, bondage, oppression, all the bad stuff that's happening, all, just, just the cultural just oppression that's happening in Egypt, and they cross over the river, right, um, the, the, uh, over, over the Red Sea. They cross over the water, and they end up in the wilderness. But the problem <coughs> with God's plan of salvation, ready for this? Yeah, yeah. The problem with God's plan of salvation is that we mess it up. The problem with God's plan of salvation is we mess it up. God saved the people, and then they spent 40 years messing it up. They spent 40 years complaining about it. They spent 40 years bitter about it. 
I mean, they said stupid stuff like, like, hey, we've been free for like three days now, but we'd rather be back in prison. We'd rather go back across the river and, and, and see what Pharaoh would do to us. What would Pharaoh do to them, by the way? He'd have slaughtered them. He was mad at them. Forty years, 40 years. But finally, at the back end of 40 years, after an entire generation of bitterness and, and just negativity has died off, right? They actually pass over another body of water into the promised land. And here's what's fascinating is everybody remembers that Moses, also known as Charlton Heston, took the staff, right? And, and he stood at the edge of the water and, and, and the Red Sea stopped, right? And then they went across and then the Egyptians got overrun. That actually happens a second time. It happens at the beginning of the Exodus story and it happens here at the end of the Exodus story in Joshua. It's a different body of water. It's the exact same story. It says this, Joshua 4.1, when the entire nation had finished crossing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, Pick 12 men from the people, one man per tribe. Command them. Pick up 12 stones from right here in the middle of the Jordan where the feet of the priest had been firmly planted. They're holding this sacred object in Jewish history. It's the, uh, it's the Ark of the Covenant. It's this, uh, it's this large uh, wooden case with rods on the end so that they can, like, they can carry it. It's, just like, it's like a trunk. It's like a moving trunk. And inside of it, they've got a number of items, including stone tablets that have etched on them these commandments, these Ten Commandments. Bring them across with you and put them down on the camp. They're talking about the stones that these 12 people are going to pick up where you are staying tonight. Joshua called for the 12 men he had appointed from the Israelites, one man per tribe. Joshua said to them, quote, Cross over into the middle of the Jordan, up to the Lord your God's chest. Each of you, lift up a stone on his shoulder to match the number of the tribes of the Israelites. This will be a symbol among you. In the future, your children may ask, what do these stones mean to you? Then you will tell them that the water of the Jordan was cut off before the Lord's covenant chest. When it crossed over the Jordan, the water of the Jordan was cut off. These stones will be an enduring memorial for the Israelites. This, this is the word of God for the people of God. And we all say, thanks be to God. When your children ask, when, when your children ask, you are commanded to have an answer. But let's point out, it doesn't actually say you're commanded to have the right answer. Now, that's a big deal, right? Because I know parents who've been overwhelmed to the point of quitting. Because they're like, I don't have all the right answers. The Bible doesn't talk about the right answer. It just says, be ready to answer. When your children ask. This is very personal to me. I mean, I'm, I mean, I'm all the time thinking. How do we get this right? No, 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 no. I'm all the time thinking, how do I 
get this right. I mean, this is personal to me. I've got, a, I've got an 11-year-old for three more days. And I've got a 15-year-old, um, but we could end that today if you want to take him home with you. Um, <laughs> I'm just really, it's, those jokes are fun. <coughs> no, this is personal to me. But here's the thing, it's personal to you too, isn't it? When your children act, what am I going to say? And how am I going to say it? This, this is a big deal. Brueggemann suggests that there are three things that have to happen in this conversation. Brueggemann says, suggests that the Bible shows that, that, that there are three things that have to happen in order for us to share our faith. I'll say in a little bit, in order for us to literally throw the ball, there are three things that have to happen. And I'm going to offer them to you. T take a note if you want. Three things. One, it's, uh, he uses the phrase unconditional advocacy, which is a fancy term for I'm crazy for you. The first thing that has to happen between an adult and a child for them to catch it is that I have to convince them that I am crazy for them. Which is different than, I like you when you do right. Right? It's, it's different than that. I like you when you dress right. I like it when you, when, 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 when you act. I mean, that's, that's, that is conditional advocacy. I'm putting conditions on my, no, 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 that's not it. I'm crazy for you. That's the first thing. The second, the second is an ability to connect the dots in the bigger story. He uses some big words for this, but this is the way I understand it. Is, is, is being able to understand the grand picture and, and to tell people, this thing that you're asking about, it's connected to this over here. Not to get it perfect, not to, not to explain like the chemical connections between the elements and the molecules. We've got science teachers for that, right? We've got, we got teachers for that. But to just be able to say, yeah, this is connected to this. To get the big picture. And then finally, the third, along with being crazy for them and connecting all the dots, the, finally, the third thing that has to happen in the conversation is that it has to be, listen to this, it has to be countercultural. And this is important. And I don't want to get my words wrong, and I don't want you to misunderstand me, but it has to be countercultural. And the fascinating thing is that Brueggemann was writing this in 94. This is like a thousand years ago that he's writing this, but it's still 100% true that children will not believe it if you tell them that the gospel call is for them to grow up and be proper. I mean, 
kids see through that. Or that, or, that, or that the gospel mandate is that they would grow up and be good citizens. Because that's actually not in here, right? That they would grow up and obey all the laws. Because that's not in here. What were the three guys' names from just a few weeks ago? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Were they rule followers? Not all the time. Were they people of faith? Yeah, they were. I mean, the gospel doesn't, doesn't produce fine, upstanding Americans. It has to be countercultural. It has to say that there's something bigger than, that even, listen to me, even patriotism, even citizenship, even, 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 even just like understood cultural ethics, do right and don't get in trouble. We got to be crazy for them as advocates, unconditional advocates. And, and we, we've got to connect the dots of the bigger picture. And, and we've got to be countercultural. But, but the thing is, and this is, this is how we end. We already knew all of that. See, the thing is, when it comes to what matters most in sharing our faith, the way we do it matters even more. The Bible doesn't say, when they ask the question, here's the specific answer you're to repeat to them. No, it actually says, tell them what it means to you. The, the, the Bible's not hung up. The Bible's not hung up on getting all of the bubbles marked in perfectly on the scantron. I mean, the what, the content matters, but the way matters even more. And I call this, the way that we share our faith, I call this our witness. Our witness, it starts at home. I read um, forever ago, and I don't know where it came from. It was really good. Christianity is one generation from ceasing to exist on the earth. I remember reading it going, what does that mean? I don't even get that. Like, what, what do you mean? I'm thinking, one generation, they couldn't take all the buildings down. One generation, they couldn't undo all the denominations. One generation, they couldn't get rid of all the books. I mean, pff, like we're all over the place. No, 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 think about it. Christianity is one generation from ceasing to exist on the earth. 
Forget the buildings, forget the books, forget the bookstores, forget the podcasts and the webinars and the... And the thing is, the burden, the burden is not on the person catching the ball. On some level, the burden is on the person throwing it in the first place. Christianity is one generation from ceasing to exist. If we as adults fail our children in our witness for what all of this means, for what all this means, then they'll never even have the chance to catch it. Let's pray. So often we pray for courage, Lord, but this this isn't courage. This is just attention. This is just presence. Your your commandment is, is not perfection. It's just that we would be there and we'd be engaged. Lord, and if you were rewriting this, wouldn't you say, put the screen down? Mom, Dad, I mean, if you were updating the Hebrew, wouldn't it say, turn off the device before it's too late, before they stop asking the questions? Lord, us to be ready for when our children ask. What does this mean to us? We pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen and amen.